of the Lord today. seats, if you will, today, and uh, a couple things I want to share with you this morning before we receive our offering. Our ushers are going to come in just a minute. But before we do, if you are here and you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that you are our guests in the house, and if you're new to Liberty Church and you're maybe just kind of finding your way around here today, we just want to welcome you, uh, let you know you can ask any of our ushers, anybody that looks like they know what they're doing around here, right? You can ask us. We'll help you the best we can and get you connected and get you where you need to go. Uh, but if you are new to Liberty Church today, on the back of the chair in front of you, unless you're on the front row, there's not a chair in front of you, but on the back of the chair in front of you, uh, or if you're on the front row, you can behind you, uh, there's a little what we call a connection card, a new to Liberty card, and if you would take a minute this morning and just fill that out, and at the end of the service today, when you're walking out of the sanctuary, there are a couple tables on each side of the back of the sanctuary. There'll be an usher station there, and if you'll give them that connection card, they'll give you a gift that we have for you that just has a little small token of our appreciation for you being here today, something to remind you of your visit with us, so if you'll fill that card out. Uh, and then just hand that to an usher on the way out of the service today. We'd greatly appreciate it. Second thing I want to do this morning uh, is a couple of these banners that are right here behind me this morning, and that is that yesterday we had our first what is going to be annual, maybe even a semi-annual merge conference, and what the merge conference is really all about. Let me real quick, how many of you had a chance to come yesterday? Let me hear you if you were here yesterday. 
We had a great time, had a lot of fun. And the whole heartbeat behind Merge is Merge is really a new strategy that we're bringing into our children's and youth ministries because something that we've recognized for years, but by the grace of God, finally feel like we've got a little bit of a handle on how can we build a bridge because if we're going to effectively disciple our children and our young people, then we're going to have to partner with our parents to help them do what God's called them to do because we recognize yesterday that if you're the mom or the dad, the grandma or the grandpa, whoever's raising the kids, you are the primary discipler of your family, right? And you are the most influential person in your family. And even though the church is significant and important, we really are not intended to be that primary discipler. We're intended to be a partner with you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, to help you disciple and grow your children up. And we we really just had an awesome time yesterday, some very practical, applicable stuff. And we're going to have some resources available. And as a matter of fact, if you have a child in our children's church ministry, or if you have a youth in our youth ministry, so basically from 18 years or 12th grade down, next Sunday, if you were not able to attend our merge conference, next Sunday, we're going to have a what we call our merge booklet, just a little information packet that we're going to give out to you next Sunday. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that next Sunday just to help you hopefully take the plunge uh, into being a part of what we're calling Merge here at Liberty Church. And we've got some amazing resources that we're going to have available to you. And the whole conference will actually be available online that you can watch the teaching, the videos, and uh, kind of see through the whole process and really wrap your heart around what it means for the love of the family and the light of Christ to merge together into the hearts of our children and how we can really partner to see God do some amazing, amazing things. And so uh, we're going to have that available for everybody next Sunday. But if you missed the conference yesterday, you missed a great day. Kids had a lot of fun, and uh, we really enjoyed just being together. Second thing I want to give you this morning uh, is a couple weeks ago, uh, let me just pause real quick. Uh, we're glad to be home. Thank you for all your prayers. Most of you have been, had a lot of folks this morning. Glad to have you back. We went on a little family vacation, spent seven days with, our, with all of our kids, and just had an awesome time, enjoyed being away. So good to come home. Isn't it great to have a home? It really, it's great not just to have a home, it's great to have a church home uh, that you can come home to, and I tell you what, we're so excited to be here this morning and be back in the house of the Lord and just be worshiping with you today, so thank you for your prayers, we had a great time, and uh, definitely came back refreshed, a little fatter than we were when we left, uh, but uh, boy, it was, it was good, so anyway, we enjoyed ourselves. Uh, but two Sundays ago, which was our first week being gone, we made a video announcement because I wasn't here that we had to make a very difficult decision, but we really believe the best decision, and that is that we two weeks ago we had to shut down our Women's Sunshine House for a very one very clear reason, and that is that when we opened our Sunshine House Ministries, our men's home and our women's home, we opened it very clearly with the idea that they would financially support themselves. And uh, praise God, our men's home is thriving and growing and doing really well, but our women's home really began to struggle. And uh, over the last six months, we tried a lot of different things, supporting the home, changing different things we were doing in the home. But we finally came to a place where it financially wasn't able to keep itself open. But one of the things that excites me about God is simply this. God is a God that when one door shuts, he always opens another. Amen? How many know that God always has greater things in store for our lives? And so as we were recognizing what was happening, we really began to pray, okay, God, what can we do next? How can we continue to reach out and raise people up? Because it is our heart here at Liberty Church to make a difference in people's lives. And, and, and I shared this this morning at our early service that, that Liberty Church does not exist for Sunday morning service. Liberty Church exists 
to be a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week life-giving ministry for Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to say that Liberty Church is not about just what we do on Sunday morning, but we are a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day, 365-day-a-year ministry that is touching people's lives every day of the year. And so I'm excited to say that as we were coming to the end and really beginning to pray, okay, God, what's the next step? We really feel like the Lord gave us a very simple strategy to totally launch a brand-new model of ministry uh, in what was our Women's Sunshine House. And so we did have to shut the doors on the Women's Sunshine House. And Miss Robin, are you in here this morning? Right now, I saw Robin earlier. I'm not sure where she's at. But Miss Robin, uh, who was one of the ladies in our house, has been retrained. That we, we reconnected them to another ministry, and they're all doing well and moving forward. Uh, but what we're going to be doing is this coming Friday, we're going to be relaunching our women's home under a new model of ministry that we're simply calling a transition house. Where our men's home right now is a recovery home for men that are coming in in the midst of addiction or battling addiction, trying to come out of addiction. What we're going to do with our women's home, our transition home, is we're going to create a safe place for women that have maybe stepped on the other side of addiction but are still not yet ready to transition back into normal life. And so we're going to create a safe place where there's spiritual support and direction to help these ladies continue to grow. So the requirements to come into the house are a lot different than our men's home, and it's going to be really simple. You have to be able to pass a drug test because it's a clean home, a sober home, where people are on the other side of addiction. You have to have a job, you have to have transportation, and you have to be willing uh, to be a part of spiritual discipleship through the life here of Liberty Church. And so we're really excited about helping ladies that many of them may be coming out of a 30, a 60, a 90 day, or maybe even a one year program that are on the other side of addiction, but they're not yet ready to financially go out and support themselves. They're not yet ready to go out and spiritually support themselves without any kind of system around them. And so we're going to try to create a place for that to happen for ladies. And so this Friday, we're going to be opening the doors to our new transition home. And I want to do two things right here real quick. I want to just say uh, to Miss Diana Harris, Diana Harris has been our director for the last year. And for all of you ladies, so many ladies in the church that have invested, prayed, led Bible studies, supported the women in our Sunshine House, I want to thank you and give you a great big round of applause. Let's just do that right now. Because... uh, I'm convinced of this in the kingdom of God. There is, there is nothing ever wasted. Amen. God never wastes one minute, one ministry, one thing that we do in his name. The second thing I want to do is many of you may or may not know Kelly Smith, uh, who is not in this service, but Kelly Smith is actually one of our first Women's Sunshine House graduates. Uh, Kelly is now going to be our uh, in-house mom. She's going to be the house mom in the new transition house, and she's going to be leading the charge there with us in this new season of ministry to our ladies. And so we're really excited about her and thankful for for her. If you want information about the transition house, if you want to find out how to get involved, if you know somebody that may be interested in coming into the house, uh, all you got to do is call the church office, 931-HOPE, and uh, Miss Anita will connect you with whoever you need to talk to, and we'll get you took care of. Amen? So we're really excited about that, and again, want to thank you guys uh, for what you've done to get us where we're at right now, and to know that we're continuing reaching out and raising people up into their full potential in Christ. So how many are you excited about what God's doing? Anybody excited? this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and receive our offering today, so let's just bow our heads this morning. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for, for transformation. We thank you, God, for changing our lives. I thank you that every season that has an end has a beginning, and Lord, I thank you that you're the God of new beginnings. 
So Lord, I just pray for a new beginning, Father, in the heart and life of every person gathered here today. And Lord, as we consecrate and commit our new house to you, Father, we pray that you would take it and use it, Father, to help women transition into the fullness of life that you have for them. And Lord, today I pray you take our tithes and our offerings this morning, that you would bless them and prosper them. And Lord, that you would bless your people today, God. I pray that you would minister to every family, every individual, every person here today. And may the blessing and favor of God abound over them and in them. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Leslie and I serve on our dream team. It's great to see you here today. Liberty Church is a perfect place for imperfect people. We are a group of believers who want to encourage you on life's journey and help you develop a growing and purposeful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here at Liberty Church, our four-week connection track is here to help you become a member and equip you to serve. You can begin the four-step process any Sunday during the 11 a.m. service in the connection track area. We hope to see you there. All right, ladies, are you ready to step into your kingdom authority? We are going to have some new studies going out. I want to see you become the elevated woman God's called you to be. Can't wait to see you there. Registration starts for our Grow class and Encounter Weekend. We invite you to join us for this life-changing class. You will learn, grow, and discover more about yourself and most importantly, God and His plan for your life. The screen. It's everywhere. Your home, your office, your pocket. It's anywhere you go. Today, there are more internet-connected devices in America than people. With Right Now Media, every member of your church can watch biblical content from teachers like Tim Keller, Francis Chan, Max Lucado, Dave Ramsey, Margaret Feinberg, Matt Chandler, Eric Mason, Andy Stanley, Bill Hybels, Gary Thomas, David Platt, Bill Fisher, and Louis Giglio. With thousands of video sessions that can be watched anywhere, anytime, make Right Now Media a rich and diverse resource for everyone in your church. Right Now Media, unlimited online video resources for your entire church. Battle Stations. You know, Band of Brothers 2019 is a call to Battle Stations. We'll see you on there. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, you can always stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can like, follow, or subscribe. Or visit us at libertychurcharab.com for upcoming events and information. Also, make sure you check your bulletin for our church calendar so you can stay connected with your church family. We pray that you have a blessed week. 
Well, good morning again, and again, welcome to Liberty Church. Uh, we are, as always, excited that you're here today. I am excited about the fact that we are going to jump in uh, to a brand new series this morning entitled Restoration, The Best is Yet to Come. And if you've been around Liberty Church any amount of time, you've probably heard that little phrase because we use it every encounter because we truly do believe that in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. How many of you know God always has more uh, for your lives? And one of the things I want to challenge us in today is not just grabbing hold of the more that God has, but uh, I want to challenge you to begin to think about grabbing hold of all that God has. Grabbing hold of all that God has for your life, because we're going to see some awesome things today out of the book of Nehemiah as we kind of dive into this study on restoration. So look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 today. The Bible says this, And these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hikaliah, in late autumn in the month of Kishlev, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Makes me glad for Arab and Holly Pond. Don't y'all love those names? Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace, and the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah said, and when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story of Nehemiah, but if you haven't read it lately, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. The story of Nehemiah is an amazing story. It's a story about reclaiming the promises of God. It's a story about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's a story about restoring a nation back to its former glory. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to take the story of Nehemiah And from the story of Nehemiah, we're going to glean what I just want to call some restoration principles. I mean, no, there are some principles in the Word of God that apply to every generation, every person, and every place on planet Earth. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to kind of pull out some restoration principles from the book of Nehemiah and from the story of Nehemiah. We're going to let it kind of be a backdrop for our story and what God is desiring and longing and willing to do in the hearts and life of every person here today because I believe that the power of God to restore is just as real, just as relevant, and just as available to us today as it was for Nehemiah as God rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and restored a nation back to its former glory. So we're going to dive into that concept today of what does it mean really to let God restore our lives to wholeness. Now, let's look at that first point on your outline because I want to give you what I just want to call a kingdom definition, a kingdom definition of restoration. So restoration in the kingdom of God is not about going back to what used to be. It's about moving forward into what God has called us to be. I want to stop there for just a second. 
Restoration in the kingdom of God is not about going back. Now, when we use the word restoration in the natural, and uh, for many of you guys in the room will probably relate with this, when you hear somebody say, I'm going to restore a car, what we mean by restoration is we want to restore it. We want to take it back to an original form, right? We want to take it back to what it used to be. But I want you to understand that in the kingdom of God, restoration is not about going back. Restoration is about going forward into what God has called you to be. As a matter of fact, God is never desiring to take you back. God is always desiring to take you forward into the glory and the grace that he has for your life. And one of the biggest challenges many times that happens in the Christian world is many times we get stuck because we're constantly looking back. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I wish I could just go back, right? I wish I could go back before the divorce. I wish I could go back before the bankruptcy. I wish I could go back before the addiction. I wish I could go back before all the chaos and the confusion come into my life. Because I remember, boy, I remember before that happened, my life was so good. And before that happened, I was really happy. And before that happened, good things were going on. And if you're not careful... You'll get stuck in a place of complacency. You'll get stuck in a place of bondage where you spend all your time and energy wanting to go back and undo some things. Well, if I could just do it over. Right, if I could do over my marriage again, if I could do over my finances again, if I could just do over my choices that I made in my 20s. (laughs) If I could just do that, that decade over again, man, my life would be so much better and my life would be so great. If I could just go back and do it over. Let me give you a great revelation today. You can't. You can't. You can't do over anything. You can't undo any decision that you have already made up to this moment and up to this point in your life. You can't do over or undo anything, but you can create a new life that God has purpose and plan for you. And you know what I've recognized? I've recognized that even as Christians, not only do we sometimes get stuck in the realization of wanting to go back and do over the bad things, we get stuck many times wanting to go back and relive the good times. Right? Especially as Christians. Right? Because if you've ever had encounters with God and and you've ever had moments with God and you've ever had experiences with God, I hear people all the time say, boy, I I I wish I could just go back to that. I wish, I wish, God, just do it again. Just do that again. Just do that again. Just do that again, God. I wish I could go back. You know that song. I just love those songs. Oh, those sermons. I love those. That ministry. I love. I wish I could just go back to those things. Look at the rest of that statement. I want you to see this. Restoration is not about going back. It's about moving forward and what God has called us to be. Nehemiah wanted to restore Jerusalem to its former glory, but God wants to restore us to our full glory. There's a full glory. There is a glory of God in your life that you have not yet experienced yet. And look at that next part. The best version of your life has not yet been lived because the best is yet to come. See, the Bible says that we grow from faith to faith and God changes us from glory to what? 
from glory to glory. God does not want to take you back to the former glory. We don't want to go back to the good old days when we used to feel the presence of God. We want to move forward into greater days where we encounter God beyond anything that we've ever known before. And what happens, what happens so many times is we get stuck in a place of thinking back instead of embracing the power of God to move forward into what God wants to do in our lives. I can't tell you how many Christians I meet that are reminiscing the good old days and reminiscing the good old days and do you remember when and do you remember when and do you remember when and do you remember when. I'm like, what about today? Come on, the greater glory. Let me tell you something. God is never calling you back. God is always calling you forward. And if you're constantly trying to go back to reclaim what was, you're going to miss out on what is, and you're going to rob yourself and sabotage what could be because you're looking in the wrong direction. And so restoration is not about going back. Man, I've had some awesome encounters with God. I've had some amazing intimate times with God. I've seen God show up and show out in unbelievable, astounding ways. But I don't want to go back. I want to go forward because glory to glory, grace to grace, faith to faith, what is ahead of us is always greater than what's behind us. And the best version of your life hasn't been lived yet. The best version of your life hasn't been lived yet. The best is yet to come. Now look with me in, in John chapter 2. Because in John chapter 2, it's the story of Jesus' first miracle. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but it starts out with Jesus' mom telling Jesus to fix a problem, right? They ran out of wine at the wedding of Canaan of Galilee, and Jesus' mother tells the servants to go see Jesus, and they, she said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And Jesus looks at his mom, and he says, woman, right? The great takeaway from that is even if you are the son of God, you can never call your mom a woman. Because <laughs> Jesus said, woman, don't you know my time hadn't come? And she said, do it anyway, Right? It didn't really say that, but that's what you got out of the story, because guess what? Jesus did it anyway, right? Doesn't matter who you are. You don't call your mom a woman, okay? Look at verse 9. Here, let's jump in here. It says, and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come, not knowing where it had, where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, right, because they poured the water into the vessels that now was wine, Look what the Bible says. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. And then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus' first miracle, I believe, is a prophetic picture of the kingdom of God. And that is that the best is always yet to come. God always saves the best wine for last. God always saves the best wine for last. And when Jesus performed that first miracle, I believe he was setting a kingdom precedence in place that says, you know what, maybe it's been good, maybe it's been bad. Maybe it's been wonderful, maybe it's been horrible. But if you'll keep your face set on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you'll engage your heart with God in the process of restoration, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that the best is always yet to come. 
Jesus said this, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter if you're looking back in regret, wishing you could do it over, or if you're looking back in glory thinking, I wish I could go back to the great things God did. If you're looking back, you're looking in the wrong direction. Because restoration is not about you going back to what you used to be. Restoration is about you moving forward into what God has called you to be, into the full glory that God has for our lives. So look at our next point. I want you to see this. So restoration requires earnest, heartfelt prayer. I think it's interesting that the first thing that happened in Nehemiah's life when he heard about the condition of the people and the condition of Jerusalem and the walls being torn down and the gates being burned by fire, the first response that Nehemiah had to that news was that his heart was broken and he began to mourn and fast and pray, the Bible says, for many days as he cried out to the God of heaven. See, I, I believe that, that restoration requires an earnest, heartfelt prayer. It requires us, let me, let me just say it like this. You have got to get such a vision and such a revelation of what God wants to do, not what God has done. <clears throat> You've got to get such a vision and such a revelation of what God wants to do in your life and you've got to break out of any form of spiritual, emotional, relational, financial complacency. Because how many of you know we get comfortable and we stop praying for more and we stop praying for all and we just settle in what we have? Now, I don't believe there's anything wrong with, with taking a breather. Amen? There's a, there's, a, there's a Bible word in Psalms called Selah, which means pause and think about that. And I think we need some Selah moments. You just need to pause and think about what God has done. But if you're not careful, you will settle for what you have instead of pursuing all that God has for you. You'll settle where you are instead of pursuing all that God has for you for you. I remember being a young man and just entered the ministry, and, and I remember praying this prayer years ago, God, I want everything that you've got for me. God, I want everything that you've got for me. And 20-something years later, I can still tell you, I still pray that prayer. God, I want everything. I want you to give me all that you have for me. I want to experience all that you have for me. I don't want just more than what I had yesterday. I want all that you have for me today. Whatever that looks like, God, I want all that you have for me. And this is what I've recognized in my life. As we look at Nehemiah's life, I've recognized that if my desire for what God wants to do is not strong enough to move me to a place of earnest prayer, then it probably won't be strong enough to move me into action. If my desire for what God wants to do in my life is not strong enough to move me to a place of prayer where I begin to cry out to God and ask God for all that he has and all that he has and all that he has, if I'm not moved to a place of prayer, I'll probably never be moved to a place of action. If it doesn't burn my heart enough to pray about it, it probably won't burn my heart enough to do anything about it. 
And what happens with that complacency is that we settle in a place where we stop pursuing the restoration of God to fully become who he's called us to be. And we become complacent in what he has done. If your greatest stories of God are what happened 20 years ago, you need to write a new page in your story. You need to write a new page in your story. Why? Because God's not the God of just yesterday. Jesus said, I'm the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And the best is yet to come. So restoration requires that heartfelt, fervent prayer. And then I want you to see, I want to just kind of break down that little prayer for just a second. I want you to recognize that, that prayer acknowledges that the task is bigger than us, but it's not independent of us. Let me say it like this. You have a part to play in your answered prayers. You have a part to play in your answered prayers. Prayer acknowledges, God, this is bigger than me, this is greater than me, and I can't do it without you. But prayer also recognizes it's not independent of me because God wants to do it through me. God wants to do it in me. God wants to accomplish it as a part of my life. Look at the rest of that statement. Through prayer and obedience, God works through us to accomplish the impossible, right? We just wrapped up our series a few weeks ago on signs, wonders, and miracles, and we recognize God does the work, but he does it through who? He does it through who? God does the work, but he does it through us. We are the vehicles, right? And so we understand that if there's going to be a restoration, if I'm going to step into what God is calling me to be, then there's got to be an earnest prayer that acknowledges, God, you are the only one that's able to do this, but you're not going to do it without me. It's bigger than me, but it's not independent of me. Let's look at Nehemiah's story for just a second. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Nehemiah 1 verse 11, Nehemiah says, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me, putting it into his heart to be kind to me. For in those days I was a king's cupbearer. So in Nehemiah 1, he prays and asks God to give him favor with the king. Look at Nehemiah 2. It says, and the king asked, how, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to you to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And not only did he ask him to release him and send him, he asked him to give him letters of permission to go. He asked him to give him opportunity to get, to get logs and trees from the forest. He said, I want you to send me, and then I want you to finance me, and I want you to fund me with everything that I need to rebuild a city because you're a pagan king, and I I want to build a city of my God. And guess what he did? He did it. (laughs) Who would ever thought that a pagan king would provide the resources to rebuild the city of God? You know who thought it? Nehemiah did. God did. And so Nehemiah, in earnest prayer, believed that God wanted to restore a nation to a greater glory than it had ever known before. And because of that, he prayed for favor. And then when he had the opportunity, he responded by obedience. And he made the request. Look at the next scripture. I love chapter 4 here, verse 9. He says, but we prayed 
to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. The enemies of the nation of Israel had begun to mock them and oppress them and come against them and threaten them. And so this is what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, we prayed and we guarded. We prayed for God to protect us, and then we set guards on the wall. How many of you understand? Nehemiah understood the task was bigger than him, but it wasn't independent of him. He had a part to play in what God wanted to do in his life. You have a part to play in what God wants to do in your life. God can never help you become the person he wants you to be without your cooperation. You have to cooperate. You and I have to work with God. Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16 says, So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. What a miracle. It had lied in ruins for years, and in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. Look at verse 16. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. 52 days later, what had laid in ruins for years was rebuilt and reestablished in just 52 days. Look at that next point on your outline. Many people never experience the restoration power of God because they are always waiting on God. They're always waiting on God. On God. I want to make a very bold statement right here. Stop waiting on God to do what only you can do. Stop waiting on God to do what only you can do. Pray and obey and move in the direction of your prayers. We have to wait on God to do what only God can do, but we got to stop waiting on God to do what only we can do. Only God could turn the heart of the king, but Nehemiah had to make the request. Only God could protect them from an overwhelming adversary, but they had to stand the guard on the city walls. Only God could accomplish in 52 days what had lied in ruins for, for, for not hundreds of years, but for many years, only God could do that. But guess what? They had to pick up a trial, and they had to relay the stones, and they had to build the wall, and they had to cut the timber, and they had to set the gates, and they had to do the work. Work. See, many people never experience the restoration power of God because we're always waiting on God. So let me give you a little push here today. Move in the direction of your prayers. If you're praying for financial prosperity, move in the direction of a financial budget. If you're praying for restoration in your marriage relationship, move in direction of date nights and intimacy. If you're praying for a stronger relationship with your children, move in the direction of having some fun together and playing some games together and enjoying some time together. If you're praying for God to enlarge your ministry, then move in the direction of serving and learning and growing in the area that you believe God is calling you to be a part of. A couple years ago, I had an individual come up to me and they said, I believe God's called me to speak to thousands of people at great conferences and I just had this vision of me standing on a stage speaking to thousands of people. They said, what do you think I should do? I said, lead a small group. 
Lead, lead a small group. Because right now you're not leading one people, one person. One people, that's good English. <laughs> All the Facebook people, that's great. We are in Arab, y'all forgive me. Right now you're not leading one person, and you say God's called you to lead thousands of people, so why don't you start leading a few people? Why don't you start moving in the direction of your prayer? Because restoration only happens. You only become what God is calling you to be when you pray about the task that God has given you and then move in the direction of the prayers that you're praying. And when you do that, amazing things begin to happen. Look at that next point. I want you to see this. Last point for today. So not only does restoration require earnest, heartfelt prayer that moves us in the direction of our prayer, but restoration requires an honest assessment of our lives. An honest assessment of our lives. Denial delays the restoration process. Denial delays the restoration process. You will never become the person God has called you to be until you get honest about who you are today. Restoration requires an honest assessment of your life. In Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 through 16, the Bible says this. Nehemiah says, so I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. And I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding on. And after dark, I went out through the valley a gate, past the jackal's well, and over the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, I thought, so though it was still dark, I went up the Kindron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. The first thing Nehemiah did when he went to Jerusalem is he took an honest assessment of the wall. Before he called a meeting, before he cast vision, before he motivated the people and said, we're going to rebuild the city. At night, he got on his donkey with just a handful of men, and he inspected the walls. He took an honest assessment. Why? Because Nehemiah knew if God is going to restore us to what we're called to be, not what we used to be, what we're called to be, it's going to have to begin with an honest assessment. I'm going to have to get real with me, because let me just tell you what I've learned. God cannot change the person I pretend to be into the person he's called me to be. God cannot change the person you think I am into the person God has called me to be. God can only change me, the real me, not the pretend me, not the perceived me, not the social media me. Right? How many know we all look good on social media? We all look good. Everybody's been telling me, boy, we saw the pictures. Look like y'all had a great time. You didn't see all the pictures, praise God. Because how many of you know the stuff that's rough, we don't take pictures of? 
that God can change. It's not the pretend you that you want everybody else to think you are. It's the real you. See, until you get honest about who you are, until you get honest about where you are, until you get honest about your own heart and your own life, you're never going to become the person God is calling you to be. Because God cannot change the fake you. He can only change the real you to become the person He's called you to be. I've shared this story many times, but it's so true, and I, 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 I don't know that I'll ever forget it. Years ago, I was pastoring my first church, and I was in prayer one day, and I asked God this question. I said, Lord, I know you love me. I know you care about me. I know all those things, but how do you really see me? How am I really doing right now, God? And I'll never forget what God said. He said, Keith, you're sloppy. Hurt my feelings really bad, I'm just telling you. You know, like the little two-year-old, I just wanted to say, no, I'm not. And he wasn't talking about how I was dressing or how I was taking care of myself. He was talking about the fact that there wasn't order and there wasn't structure and there wasn't process in my life. I was just here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little, flying by the seat of my pants. He said, Keith, you're sloppy. There's no order. There's no structure. There's no process. If you're going to become the person I've called you to be, there's going to have to be order. There's going to have to be structure. There's going to have to be a process. You're going to have to be willing to be disciplined and discipled in every arena and every area of your life in order to become the man I'm calling you to be. And that wasn't a fun conversation, but it was a life-altering conversation that changed my life. And every now and then I get really bold and I say, God, how do you really see me? And then I plug my ears and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> that don't work, guys, right? I've got to get real. you got to get real. It's that honest assessment that empowers you and I to change it. And hear this. This is so important. God never challenges us to take an honest assessment of our lives so he can condemn us. It's not about God saying, I want you to know how bad you are. No, 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 that's not it. God is saying, I want you to know where you are so I can get you where I want you to be. It's not, I want you to know how bad you are. It's, I want you to know where you are. Where are you spiritually? Where are you relationally? Where are you financially? Where are you emotionally? Where are you? Because once you know where you are, I can get you where I've called you to be. I'm going to tell this story. I've, I've told it before again. I love this story. GPSs were just coming out. Kelly and Samantha went to Huntsville, to Madison. We were at a men's conference here at the church. She calls me. GPS got her lost there in the middle of nowhere. She don't know where she's at. She's frantic and she's freaking out. So I said, I'm going to follow my eye, baby, it'll be all right. Just, just, just tell me where you are. Where are you? And I'll get you home. It'll be all right. Just tell me where you are. I don't know where I'm at. I said, well, just, just look around, find a road sign, find a gas station, find a restaurant. I don't see anything. So this is what I told her. I said, you got to drive till you see something. And when you see something, call me. And once I know where you are, I can get you where you need to be. Honest assessment is required for restoration because only when you know where you are can God get you where you need to be. So as the praise team comes and our prayer team comes, I want everybody just to bow our heads for just a moment. I want to ask you three questions today and then we're going to stand and we're going to go into a time of amazing worship. And we're going to open the altars for prayer. 
But I want to ask you three questions. Uh, here's my three questions. The first question I want to ask you is simply this. Or actually, it's the first one's not a question. It's a declaration. I want to just declare this over you. The best is yet to come. I want you to grab hold of that. I want you to let that sink down into your heart and into your spirit. The best is yet to come. The greatest version of your life has not yet been lived yet. The best is yet to come. I want you to let that sink and settle into your heart. The best is yet to come. Let go of the regret. Let go of the good old days and embrace the reality that the best for your life is yet to come. God is calling you to a greater glory than anything you've ever experienced before. Settle that in your heart right now. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is let that move you this week. Let it move you in prayer. God, I want all. God, I want, I don't want just more. God, I want all that you have for me. I want all that you have for me. Let that, let that burning revelation that the best is yet to come move you to a place of prayer that says, God, I want all that you have for me. And then I want to ask you this question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you a question. What have you already been praying about that you need to move in the direction of? What have you already been praying about that you need to move in the direction of your prayer? Maybe what is it that you need to do? Ask God that question. Lord, what do I need to do to move in the direction of my prayers? And then last but not least, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to ask God to help you. God, help me take an honest evaluation of myself today, God. Let me see where I am. God, let me see where I am today. I, I want to know where I am, God, because I want to go where you're calling me to be. God, let me see where I am. I, I want an honest assessment of my life. Help me to lay down denial. Help me to stop blaming other people and help me to see where I really am today. Where am I? So I can move to where you're calling me to be. And as you take that honest assessment, I, I want to give you this one challenge, and we're about to stand to our feet, and we're going to sing together and worship the Lord. But maybe as you're assessing your heart, maybe you're recognizing right now that when you look at your heart, you recognize you've never really surrendered your heart to Christ. Maybe that honest assessment is bringing you a place that you understand, I've never really truly given Jesus lordship of my life. I've always been living my life my way. Maybe I've invited God into some areas. Maybe I've given him a little permission in certain areas, but I've never truly made Jesus Lord of my life. And I want to do that today. I want to do that today. I want to give the reins of my heart and my life over to Jesus Christ. I want to give him the steering wheel of my soul and say, lead me and guide me and take me where you've called me to be because I'm no longer my own, I'm yours. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something very simple but very bold, and that is simply this. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Just a simple act of faith, just to stand up and say, today, I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Today, I want to give him control. I want to give him control of my life, and I want to receive the gift of eternal life. Let me tell you what I know about restoration. Restoration is an inside job. You'll never become who God's called you to be from the outside in. It always happens from the inside out. You got to let him in. Right now, as you're standing on your feet, our ushers are going to slip a little packet in your hand, and we're about to pray a prayer together. If you want to pray this prayer, when they go ahead and stand, we're about to pray. This is your moment. 
this is your moment. You want to pray this prayer. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to give you control today, God. If you're standing right now, we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray it out loud with me. Let's just pray it. Very simple, but let's pray it from our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to come into my heart and into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and give me the future and the hope that you have purchased for me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. And fill me with your life. I receive your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning.